Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. All right, believe it or not, we actually do know what we're doing on social media. We need you to search and like our Facebook page. So it's really easy. You just type Opera Box Score into the little search box of Facebook, and then we'll come up, and then just go to the page and click like, and then you'll get all of our content. And I promise that we're not going to you know, ask you to give money on Facebook and we're going to give you, we're going to give you the updates about who our guests are going to be. And then when a new episode is ready, we'll have the link right there in the Facebook post. So you can listen to it, even though you should be subscribed to the podcast on Stitcher or Apple podcasts or however you listen. And shame on you. If you're not, as a matter of fact, you know why I ought to. The other thing you so can easy. do, of course, is follow us on Instagram as well. Ashley Hargrave has got us set up on IG. The handle is Opera Box Score. And Weston has recently taken over our Twitter account, so you can expect one tweet every six weeks. Yeah, I'm doing a really good job so far. <laughs> it's Thank better than our last <laughs> record on Twitter. So please it's follow us on all of those channels. If you don't, then we have to charge you for the show. Enjoy the podcast. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, Let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are, however you're listening, welcome to America's talk radio show about opera, period. From a closet on the north side of Chicago, I'm your host, Weston Williams, joined this week by co-host George Cedarquist, Oliver Camacho, and Matt Cummings. All right, tonight, what is your obsession? Ours is currently Osea, the online production company that is approaching opera with the same savvy as some of your favorite social media influencers. We'll go inside the huddle with two of the co-founders of Osea, Alyssa Martin and Marcus Shields, and ask them why we should take OBS off of Zoom, or at least get some better lighting. And then Pop Quiz returns. If opera artists were wrestlers, what would their nicknames be? It's just the palate cleanser you'll need before diving into the two-minute drill with some good news from Berlin, some bad news from St. Petersburg, and some really bad news from St. Louis. Let's kick this show off and go inside the huddle. Huddle up. Let's go inside the huddle. All right. Can't talk about Anamofo without talking about the voice. It's so beautiful. It's like soft, it's supple, it's full, it's rich, it's so colorful. I love it. This is a beautiful recording. Vocalese, Rachmaninoff. Look it up. Think here, maybe. I mean, like, come on, she has everything. It's even, they're high notes, low notes, everything. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. So beautiful, so pure, so natural. It's amazing. She was also super, super, super versatile with crossover stuff, saying everything. This clip is of Bill from Showboat. Super trained voice, beautiful. It's from her TV show. We'll talk about it later. Check it out. I used to dream that I would discover the perfect lover's Sunday. So that was Joseph Latanzi in his Osea video on Anamofo. And I have to say that I am a huge Anamofo stan. And 
I've just kind of given up that the younger gays will ever care about Anamofo as much as I do. So I was particularly delighted to watch that video. Uh, and I saw some stuff that I'd never seen before. I thought it was so cool. I never saw the full-on movie of Anamofo running through the cemetery with with beautiful sleeves. And I never saw Anamofo's naked ass before. And I didn't want to see that. But I'm glad that I got a chance to know that that exists out there. So thank you to Joseph Latanzi for putting that together. And welcome Alyssa Martin and Marcus Shields from Osea. Since our audience will literally just now be learning about you guys, unless they're already fans, which maybe they are, can you tell us a little bit about the creation of Osea and, and what your mission is? Sure. Well, so I guess a good place to start is like what the title is, which um, in an, it's sort of been an amazing thing. You know, it's called Osea, which um, is a musical term and uh, it, it means an alternate passage, you know, to the written one. And um, so we have taken the spirit of that and applied it to this company that we've created. And essentially our mission is to provide uh, an alternate way to enjoy opera. Is that right, Alyssa? Yeah, definitely. Um, and it's actually funny that you brought up the Anamofo video, the like the genesis of that video even was us just sitting around for an entire day. We were waiting, Joseph and I were waiting for um, Marcus and Patricia to get to the cabin where we filmed most of our episodes. And we spent, I would like an entire calendar day listening to every recording of Anamofo on the internet. And so then he went to bed and like searched. No, it was excellent. It was unbelievable. We like sat on this porch and like listened to all these videos and we we're like, oh my God, everybody has to hear this. And we sort of wanted to create like a space that feels like that, like just sharing the things that you love about opera and what's so amazing about it and what's amazing about the voices you love with your friends and having a conversation and like that connection with each other. So yeah, I would say that- Part of our know, mission, yeah. The, the four of us, you know, we're all about the same age in that middle millennial cohort, um, mm -hmm. right around 30 years old. And we've grown up as a group of people with um, the internet, with YouTube, with the shift into a sort of phone-oriented world. And, um, and I think that's been a massive influence, you know, because as we were falling in love with opera, uh, this incredible ancient art form, we um, uh, were also voraciously consuming pop culture and and consuming and playing with these new forms of communication and um, media that is, you know, was sort of becoming available to the internet. You know, when I was 15 years old or something like that, uh, YouTube became a thing. And all of a sudden in Columbia, South Carolina, even though I couldn't actually go and see an opera, I could experience um, what opera was, you know, through the form of, of recordings that were posted there or the forms of, of videos that had been, been that have been put there, and so um, I think as you know, we have grown up. We have we've seen the way these technologies have developed and prioritized an individual perspective, and we sort of just simply wanted to create a space that could actually platform uh, the personal, the specific, the sort of weird, uh, uh, obsessive nature in which all of the people that love opera love opera. 
something like that. Inspired by you, actually, Oliver. Mm-hmm. Well, can you just like <laughs> just to make it ex- really explicit, like I'm stupid because you know I'm not like, that smart. What is it? And, oh, like, it, 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 you have to explain the internet to Oliver. <laughs> yeah. He's still uh, he's still working on like the you know he just got his first Nokia phone. Yeah. What is really what is the elevator it. pitch for Osea? Um, well, I think what we're what we're really doing is we are creating a digital space to both like foster the imagination of people who are already obsessed with opera and invite people who have maybe never encountered it past like a Coca-Cola commercial to like be a part of that community and talk about it. And the way we're doing that um, in a practical sense is with a YouTube channel that is full of a lot of different game show videos like Guess That Voice, um, the obsession that I think is have played right before this. Um, to just get people interested and talking and get a lot of points of view about opera on like that YouTube platform. We also have our founders all contributing to a blog through our website, just talking about different things that influence us past and present, um, whether they're opera or not, and how all of those things intersect with each other. And I'm sure that like, we'll, we can get like links to all those things so that people can practically find it. But, um, <laughs> but that's, but that's kind of what we're trying to do at the moment, what we're experimenting with as far as creating a digital community. As a viewer that's in that same kind of age bracket as, as you all, I'm really mm-hmm. struck by how much your videos like are striving to bridge that opera culture that can seem so closed off and restricted with uh, more popular culture that people might be a lot more familiar with. Are there any p- parallels in particular that you're looking for between those those two types of music and and what do you what is it that you hope the the audience takes away from those links? Yeah, pop culture. Uh, I think like again for for us who grew up in in that in that time, '90s, early aughts, you know, uh, we were experiencing pop culture and falling in love with opera at the same time, and they felt like they were existing in separate spaces, like. Um, there's something about MTV that was happening, but it wasn't addressing the fact that, you know, I was falling and, you know, falling in love with Handel or, or, you know, wanting to experience this and the places that it actually collided was, um, in my brain in my like 13 or 14 year old brain or something like that. And, and so I think what I've always felt is that actually the two things sit really organically next to one another and that opera is pop culture, you know, even if in a, in a sort of contemporary sense, it's not necessarily the thing that sits at the center of our many cultural conversations that are happening right now. I would yeah, say. and specifically but, like relating, yeah. specifically relating to forms, like we've just started doing videos uh, that we call op up video, which if you, um, if you were growing up around the time that Marcus and I were, if you remember on VH1, there was the show called pop up video oh, where there would be oh, like yeah. pop, and like pop up video was a jam, right? Like it was always just like, straight bops all day <laughs> on pop-up video right but like with little like informational blurbs which were just as interesting as the music and pop music has done a really good job historically at reaching out to people to bring them in in that way and make them very interested in every facet of how mm-hmm. they create what they do and opera in the last you know couple decades especially has stopped trying to do that because there was a point where opera was pop culture and was reaching people in that same way that VH1 and MTV were. And I think that it's still relevant to people who are consuming any kind of entertainment today. We just think that you should be able to consume and take away from it what it is that you want um, in your own like personal cultural sphere, I guess. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I think that it's very interesting how uh, I, I, it feels like you're kind of creating uh, a space for contemporary opera 
culture in terms of when when people tend to think about uh, opera people or opera fans, they have a very specific uh, face in mind that's really twenty or thirty years out of date. At yeah. this point, uh, the 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 notion of exclusivity. Um, the strictly uh, offline presence. And one yeah. of the things that I think was really interesting kind of looking at uh, your, your site um, is that you uh, have a program in place or, or at least the, uh, the, uh, the dream in, for, in place since you're still kind of new to the game to uh, really help expand that reach for companies because you're not just mm -hmm. producing your own content, you want to uh, help produce content. Would this be for opera companies to help expand their online reach uh, into that sort of new cultural sphere uh, or, or do you have other ideas in mind for that? I wanna answer this question directly, but I'll just say like, we are living in, a, in an amazing moment. Like we're living truly in an amazing moment. And it's sort of, I think, been a long time coming when the pandemic hit and opera in America was forced to shutter and we were all sort of forced to sit and look at each other and like really pay attention and sit still with the issues that are facing this industry you know I I just think that the sort of generative creative spirit that's happened out of that is extraordinary and so one thing that you know we notice is that we're all sitting around making things and sort of putting them out in the world. And there's this cultural conversation that's going on. Um, some companies are participating, some are not. And I think as a company, like the thing that we, you know, we care about and we want to celebrate is like, is the individual perspective, the personal perspective, everything we've said about getting that sort of specific, specific love and obsession out to a wider audience. Cause we believe the internet is like this amazing thing that connects specificity with other specificity. But like, you know, I think Osea in a very practical way, you know, cares about participating in that conversation and, and we care about helping companies that are interested in doing that. So I think that it's the internet is a very democratic place and in an amazing way, you know, certain singers, even if they're not necessarily the most famous, like by industry standards, may have cared more about their social media than any one company has for the last hmm. 10 years. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden have more, more audience and more power and more influence over what's happening in that space. And I, you know, I'm of the mind that that's a really great thing. And that sort of that individual perspective is, is going to, to create a shift. And if companies need, you know, I think it's for the benefit of everyone, if companies also shift their model a little more personally, uh, so that they're putting the, the voices of their artists, you know, out there uh, over some kind of institutional brand. So I would say that like Osea as a company is very interested in, in helping that happen in any way we can. Well, and if somebody wants to. I just want to just dive in here. I, Alyssa, I'm going to put a, put a pin in yeah. one second. I just want to talk about it because not everybody has seen it yet. Why does your stuff look so different than what we're getting right now from major opera companies? I think the biggest, the biggest difference that I can think of is that the first thing we asked ourselves was who is this for? And our answer for us was this is for the opera community at large. So like fans, people who do it. And we feel like in general, a lot of the content that we have seen from opera houses does not ask itself that question. And it doesn't consider that the people it's trying to reach are looking at their phones and their computer every single day and being reached by other brands, other kinds of entertainment, other things that they can interact with in a way that lines up 
with how they interact with things all day, like on their phone, on the internet, like in that language of um, like internet culture. And the opera houses have been very slow to adopt that. And now sort of as a last ditch effort, it seems like they're like, oh, well, I guess people use the internet. Maybe we should try that. <laughs> and so <laughs> I'm sorry, was that like, was that very like claws out? That's not what I meant. <laughs> like, that's like totally not. Um, it's a mood. I was raised a like mood. a Southern woman. So like, I don't even know when I'm doing it anymore. I'm like, you look great. Bless her heart. Um, <laughs> but no, but like, I think the reason it looks different is because what was important to us was not necessarily, um, you know, just like desperately trying to get our stuff out, but like trying to interest people in the same ways that something like pop-up video on VH1, something mm -hmm. like the L song association that we modeled our song association very closely on with a couple of pretty big changes. Um, like making it something that would appeal to people who see stuff that is produced at a quality that's that high every day. Because, you know, if somebody's looking at the things that Vanity Fair and Elle and all the entertainment companies mm -hmm. and brands that are very successful are doing every day, Racist then appetite. why... Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. And, you know, yeah. That's actually, like, I know that, yeah. that right now is a, is a, it's a, a, yeah. a lesson, you know, to everybody. But um, one thing that, you know, is, was so powerful about companies that sort of took that initiative to, like, at least at the, you know, attempt to create uh, a presence on YouTube that felt, uh, I think, maybe more colloquial or less, like, I don't know what the word is, like institutional or museum-y mm -hmm. or something like that, um, actually found that like that's a really effective way to connect with an audience. And I think the other side of that is when you connect with an audience, you all of a sudden became become responsible to that audience. And like, right. and, you know, and you, act, you actually have to uh, uphold your audience's values. And that's a super important well, thing. Well, just because I don't want to get away too far from Osea and your actual content, can you describe one, because like you have all these different, you know, types of videos that you're putting out. There's like the song association, there's the obsessions, mm -hmm. there's like the uh, guest, the voice. Can you just give us one segment that you're really proud of that you guys came up with it and how it relates visually and how you came up with it and how you imagine the audience engaging with it? Sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I'm really proud of is that we chose to take the song association in a direction that marries pop culture with opera and sort of highlights the fact that everyone has been singing about and making music about the same words, themes, and emotions for like, oh, I don't know, like 500 years now. So like I, that I'm really proud of being able to say like, we can draw these conclusions from, you know, using one word and finding any opera excerpt and then finding anything else you can think of and connect those two things in your brain. I think that's like amazing. And I'm also proud of the way that's translated to an audience of people who would have never considered opera otherwise, unless they could hear Lenny Kravitz sing American Woman. Also, yeah. yeah. <laughs> on it. I, I like, I am, I'm very proud of that. I'm proud of like making people interested in that way. So I hope we can continue to do that and like grow a community. I would, I'm really proud of the way that Obsession is starting to shape because um, right, right now there's two episodes available. One that is uh, about, that one that is hosted by Joseph and one that's hosted by me. And the concept is the same really where, you know, the person who's the subject sits in, in a chair and essentially like has an hour to talk about something they're obsessed with, be it a, a singer, be it an idea, be it an opera an institution, a moment in operatic history, whatever it is, you know, just something that's meaningful to them. And 
what results is something that is utterly unique. You know, the, the concept is the same, but if you look at our two videos, like they couldn't be more different. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Joseph has this encyclopedic knowledge of like deep, deep cut animofo. And like <laughs> me, you get to watch me like stumble over an idea about like, <laughs> about wanting to like an English tenor that not everybody thinks is a, is a great model for young singers and, you know, trying to figure out like, well, I love him anyways. And I think he's a great singer, even if, even if there's controversy over that and like, what does it mean to be a beautiful voice? And what does it mean to, to be idiosyncratic in, in an industry that does prioritize sort of an athletic or, you know, sort of uh, virtuosic quality. And the camera loves Joseph's face so much. Like he is so... Yeah, let's not tell him. <laughs> he's so photogenic. <laughs> and he always seems to be warmed up in his off the voice singing voice where he could like no. sing any phrase and it's always legato and it always has beautiful tone. We're like, what is this guy who could just like so pull... So annoying. <laughs> I, know. I know. I wish this was a video so people could see me rolling my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> so we yeah. did touch ever so, ever so briefly on the idea of you know, taking care of your audience and, and, you know, reflecting them and their values. You guys are all white and you're all beautiful, but you're all white. So how are you guys <laughs> going to address, you know, you know, the, the topic of the moment, which is racial inequality in opera? Honestly, that's a great question. Um, so the biggest thing that we think is that it's, you know, we want to make sure that we're giving the right people, you know, a, you know, a platform to say what their experience has been, because we are really, really focused on making sure that people's individual experiences get expressed um, through who's on camera. And one of our biggest projects, and from the beginning, it's been a real priority for us to make sure that ours are not the only faces that you see on camera. Like right now, they're the only faces you see because we were locked in a cabin together for five weeks. But um, our <laughs> All biggest- All the best our, content comes from that sort of situation. Yeah, right? Like we have, <laughs> yes, exactly. Like that and also like The Shining. So it could have gone one way or the other. <laughs> but <laughs> luckily we came away with like 30 hours of content. So that's awesome. Um, but what our plan has been from the beginning has been to incorporate the voices of all of the artists that we think are so interesting and so talented and have something to say about opera. And what has been so important about this community too is that we want so badly for it to feel like it is for everybody. And it's not gonna feel like that unless we're representing everybody. So that is something that's very important to us as we're planning who we are having on camera next to make sure that no matter who's watching this anywhere in the world, they see something that represents them on the screen. So that's obviously our first priority. And uh, we're really excited to announce some of the people that we have some like soft yeses from about participating. Mm, so yes. that'll be coming soon. I, I know, don't you love yes. a soft yes? <laughs> But we'll but we'll be announcing that like once we have more firm details about when those episodes are rolling out. Once so it's a little more we're very turgid. excited about. Opera, yeah. <laughs> opera box scores like bread and butter is soft yeses. So I, I really yes. we yeah. once had a show with we'll have to bleep this out, um, Weston. <laughs> we once had a show lined up with <laughs> and we were literally there at the studio at the radio studio waiting for her to call and we had to fill for twenty minutes because that was her interview time and she never called. So you know who you are, that's American, yeah, American that's so Soprano, funny. glamorous American Soprano. <laughs> that's so oh, funny. Oh, God. I was oh, in charge hilarious. of that show, too. That was rough. 
Oh, uh, super fans out there remember that one too. <laughs> what did you guys do? Did you guys have to like source musical numbers locally I, quickly? We had like, we had like, like a, pull a, them in off the street. We had a B block, which we sort of dragged into the A block, and then the B block suffered okay. so badly. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Yeah, so in, in some ways, maybe the murder cabin gen uh, content generation scheme is the better model, but who's to say? Totally. Uh, yeah. I, but that, on that subject, obviously, OSIA is still a very new thing. Um, right. Lots of soft yeses that will hopefully become hard yeses very soon. Um, mm -hmm. But what would you love uh, OSIA to be working on a, a year from now or, or five years from now? Where do you see the company going um, uh, over time? Yeah. Osea, uh, I think like that is an interesting question that sort of dovetails with like the moment that we're living in, um, in a very practical way. Like we would love to grow our audience and we would love for, uh, our company to be very, you know, to the content to just look radically different than what it looks like now because of who we are collaborating with, because of the ideas that emerge from collaborating with other people. Um, and I think, you know, we have a real willingness to take interests and, you know, concepts from other people and, and try and make them real and try and make them real on the internet. Um, uh, so if a year from now looks like, you know, we, uh, we have expanded the, ex you know, the experiment of what we're doing and we've grown an audience. I'll feel happy about that. And I, I also think that like there's there's something about a sense of hopefulness, which would be really lovely to try and foster in this in this industry. I think right now, I mean, I don't I don't know about everyone on this call, but like it's very easy to to pendulum swing between like utter despair and like manic, you know, you know, like I have, you know, oh. I have to contribute. You know, <laughs> on like an hopefully. hourly basis, basically. Yeah. You know? On an hourly basis. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, what I think is extraordinary about about sitting in that is that everybody is sort of feeling it together. And there's a feeling that, like, you know, uh, if if this industry is to survive, you know, past this moment, which it will, um, that everyone sort of is responsible for for making the change that they want to see. Um, and so in a year from now, I'd love for there to be a real sense of hope and a real sense of like, you know, uh, of further developments of that, of that initiative and that, um, and we want to be a part of it. You know, I, I take this moment to shout out like two organizations that I've seen, you know, in my own social media, f uh, feed, uh, where yellow proudly, which is, you know, Alice Chung and Jesse Leong and, um, a new company that literally just sprang into existence, like, you know, three days ago called utopia arts by, uh, Amanda Lynn bottoms and, Aaron Crouch, uh, you know, and all of these companies are, are, are truly like rising to the moment. So, um, I like respect that and like love that message of hope and feeling of like participation. And, and what yeah. I, yeah. And what I sort of hope that like that means for us is to be able to expand, like, cause obviously for us, it's sort of been a learning curve of learning how to produce this kind of content because all of us are coming from, you know, performing and directing backgrounds. So I would love for us to be able to build out um, the different perspectives and, you know, faces and stories and obsessions and the things that we can add to the series that we already have. And I would love in five years to be exploring really exciting stuff like how live performance happens and who knows what that means going forward now after a pandemic of this size. But I would love for us to have some sort 
sort of stake in that and in how that can connect with the public in a more pop culture feeling, um, like high gloss Hollywood kind of way. I don't know. Um, is that? <laughs> no, I mean, your guy, your stuff yeah. looks so beautiful. And like we, I tried yeah. to ask you that, but you wouldn't claim it, but the the oh. actual quality I'll talk about that the quality <laughs> yeah, of the yeah, video yeah. the quality of the lighting the cloud quality of the sound the graphics maybe there's a few too many graphics but still the, the they're there you know and it feels yeah. it feels very like you guys have yeah. like this gigantic budget behind you and I know you don't it's it's such a it's such an aesthetic you know it's it's got it's got a real genuine yeah. this is a real thing feeling to it which is not I, I feel like whenever I see uh, someone who's like into classical music or opera on YouTube, it's like yeah. one guy in the basement with like the single hanging light, mm. just uh, muttering, rambling about Wagner for an hour. And that may or may not be me, <laughs> but uh, I, 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 it's really refreshing to see this kind of content. Production value. In a yeah. Field we're also, yeah, exactly. In, the, in this kind of a field we're so passionate about. Because yeah. what that really, what that can reflect is like savviness and internet, internet na nativity, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah. And with just like a flood of internet content right now, some, not all of it is on the same playing field, but are there, are there some that have stood out to you that were really successful in the, in the time of quarantine? Any, any content that, that you're really liking? Hmm, that's really interesting. We, you gave us the entire episode to think about that. I know. <laughs> no, but it's so we were so nervous trying to sound smart that we didn't even think about your questions. Like, <laughs> we were so nervous. So, like, well, without naming names, maybe like, what is it that you think gets in the way of the uh, of those videos that are being released from being totally successful? I think we are a little more equipped to answer that, which is um, a little bit unfortunate. And now I'm upset that I said that sentence. So uh, yeah, great. <laughs> um, like, perfect. <laughs> That's cool. Um, anyway, and I think that some of the, the, the biggest thing is just, it was really important to us to take our time to learn how to use what was in front of us before we just put anything on the internet. And I, I do understand the sort of panic-induced just make anything, just do anything to keep people in it, like response. I absolutely understand that. And I understand that as a company, you're managing a lot of other different demands on you from a lot of other sources than we had as just like four independent people getting to decide what and when we do when we want, like we don't have a board of directors, we are the board of directors, you know. But I think that it what helped us get our stuff to a quality that we feel, you know, okay about putting into public is spending I think we probably spent what Marcus like eight eight weeks just figuring out how we're gonna do this like how is this gonna work and like what is this process and like you know all four of us are unemployed so yeah absolutely um, we have a lot of time so we're working with limited means and I think a lot of it you know a lot of a lot of the any any production value that you see came from us like looking to the internet or looking at doing research and just trying to figure out how to maximize you know, the resources we had available and like make prudent choices about how to purchase equipment and then really spend the time to learn, learn the equipment. And it's still, a you know, something that's like in progress and we're learning as we go. And every, like every minute of every day is a learning experience, but we really appreciate the compliment of that. And, and I'll just say, you know, along the way, as we were developing things, you know, we're constantly consuming and uh, passing things back and forth and trying to understand one another as, you know, individuals, since all of us come with sort of unique perspective and 
and it's not always the same vision. You know, it's it's oftentimes you know has there's lots of push and pull that have to have to go into landing on an idea. But like one thing that we can really clearly say, like Janine Debeek, oh. um, oh, incredible. Yeah. Yes. Uh, she like we we she put out this video of her. It was like clearly it was like shot with an iPhone or something, but it looks gorgeous. It looks really stunning. Uh, and she's just like, it's a still frame. Nothing is happening. There's no camera movement. It's no trick. She just sings acapella in this space. Uh, what is it? Vadora from. It was, I mean, I was like, this is the best thing I've seen on the internet in like three months. And it's like a minute and 30 seconds and it felt so right. And, um, that felt so much more like personal and real and like, yeah, was a, it's been a huge inspiration. Um, so it's pieces like that that actually, you know, I think things are popping up all the time that we actually share and we go, wow, we really love this person and how they're thinking about their own voice in this moment. Um, but it's not always the slick things that cut through, you know, it's, it's sometimes the things that are most like considerate and feel really thought about and personal. And so... Yeah, that's been and nice. I actually I actually just thought of a company too that is doing something that I thought was kind of like <laughs> there in the it language is. of the internet. Yes. I know, no, I found I told you I get so Opera nervous. Like box I'm... score. Opera oh box yeah, that's the that's the correct Opera answer. Opera box score. <laughs> no, um, I uh, I think Des Moines recently put out with their young artists. It was like a video of the Giovanni like quintet where like the Anna which was Simone Harcum I think who's a friend of mine they like roll up in a car outside and are like looking into the camera and I don't know why but it like really cracked me up and it seemed I was like see like that's why the internet is funny because of like stuff like that that like feels out of place but like it honestly like kind of felt like Don Giovanni but like memed a little bit and didn't take itself too seriously which was why it I think was a little more successful than some of the stuff that's taking itself incredibly seriously. It was very weird. Yeah, that, that whole thing was very weird. I think weirdness so is like to be applauded. Um, uh, On the internet, yeah. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, we know and, that you're the place to go for hashtag animofo content uh, and uh, amongst many other things. But uh, where would you direct people? Uh, what's your website? What's the YouTube channel name? Where do you want people to go to uh, acquire some of that good Asia meat? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. Oh, you can go, <laughs> you can go to our website, which is oseapresents.com. Um, you also can follow us on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at it's underscore, underscore, osea, underscore, underscore. Um, so just like two long lines on each side of osea. And then you can follow us on YouTube by just searching for osea op culture. And just so that we can say that we got the I got the exclusive scoop. Alyssa, can you give us a preview of what your obsession is going to be? <gasps> yes, I will do that for you, but only for you. Um, <laughs> yes. Tell our five so, audience uh, members. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, scoop. if you add that, if you add that to like the 10 followers we got today, oh my God, I'm so excited. It's so exciting. No, really, like, guys, I need you to know that if you're out there liking Osea, I need you to know that we are on Slack going, this person just liked us. This is amazing. Did you see this comment that this person did? We want you to like us so bad. Please go like us. Um, no, but, but we're also aloof and removed. <laughs> yeah, I'll say, yeah, I really. Um, 
sorry, I was I was begging for your like so much that I forgot what I was answering. Um, What's coming next? My, my next obsession, that's right, that's right. Um, my next obsession is actually on uh, Christina Pluhar and L'Arpeggiata. Um, Amazing. I don't know, I find that some people, like I meet some people and they're really familiar with her and then some people are like, I've never heard of her, but then I play them like one track and they're like, whoa. They are so cool because they're so cool. Um, Christina Pluhar is, uh, she was trained as a Baroque musician and she has a group called L'Arpeggiata that she's the artistic director for. And they really often add in with a full like concert of Baroque instruments, also like a jazz combo and they'll cover um, pop music sometimes with Baroque instruments, but she's always like doing something interesting and very, I don't know, like experimental with the mix of you know, popular culture in Baroque. Music so shall we, purpose. shall we play Jazzy Jeruski to go out? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. Of course. Marcus, Alyssa, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, you so you've got our, yeah. you've got our five listeners. I'm sure they're with you right now. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> thank you guys so much. This is Opera Box Score with George Cedarquist, Oliver Camacho, and oh yeah, Matt Cummings. Pop quiz. Oh boy. It's the moment you've all been waiting for. The WWE SummerSlam event starts on Saturday. It's one of the highlights of the WWE calendar. Now, opera artists and wrestlers have lots in common, including wearing makeup and tights and grabbing each other's genitals. Uh, probably. Anywho, wrestlers also have nicknames like Macho Man, Randy Savage, Dwayne, The Rock, Johnson, and Andre, the Giant, uh, Giant. Well, we wanted to get things competitive up here at Opera Box Score, and George has made a pop quiz imagining what nicknames some of the most famous opera artists would have. There's 10 nicknames for each team to solve. Four composers, four singers, two directors, with a point for each correct answer, and a half point if you come up with a legit alternate to George's answer. The winner of this Royal Rumble gets to body slam the losers. Let's get it on. Uh, how was my intro there, George? I'm going to get you a cough drop. And you're going <laughs> to you're you're going to need this one. It's true. SummerSlam is right around the corner. Uh, it's happening. It's live. It's on pay per view. That's as much hype as I'm going to give it. It in the sort of the WWE pantheon, SummerSlam is only second to like the main big WrestleMania event of the year. Um, so I thought it'd be fun to have a little palate cleanser. And as Weston laid out. Uh, we've got some nicknames that I've come up with here. So let's see here. We drew straws before the show began, and Matt is going to go first. Ooh, let's um, have ourselves a little John Cage match. Exactly. Uh, ah! All right, here we go. So your first nickname, Matt, is The Wolf. 
Mm. I'm going to go with uh, the one and only Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart there. Ding, ding, ding. You got that right. God, that was so hard. How am I going to play this game? One point. All right, here we go. (laughs) Over to you, Oliver. Your nickname is The Bohemian. The Bohemian? The Bohemian. This is a composer? What is this? Uh, Well, if you want a hint, I I could give you a hint. I mean, it doesn't make any sense, but I think maybe you're saying Puccini. Correct. Okay, that's Leon Cavallo erasure. Yeah. Oh, that's a legit alternative. Is it going to get an extra point, George? Not just yet. No, we're we're starting we're starting off easy. All right. So, are we starting with composers only, and then you're going to go into the singers? Is it all mixed up, or that would be telling? Okay. (laughs) If you need if you need a hint, I'm happy to give you one. All right, here we go. Back to Matt. (laughs) This this nickname is Kangaroo Court. Ooh. Um. Our, Our. I mean, my mind went right to Joan Sutherland. You got that's it, sir. That's nice job. Nice job. Does it, I mean, like, because Matt is a weird genius, but that doesn't make any <laughs> sense. Just so you know. But go on. Because she's Australian. But there Australian. are so many. There are so many Australians. But if you had to pick I one famous Australian singer, it would be Joan Sutherland. <laughs> All right, back to you, Oliver. I want you to stay on the same topic. Here we go. Your this nickname is. The Kiwi. Kiri mm, Takanawa. Nice job. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Back to uh, back to Matt. But we're, it's going to get you know as you get deeper into the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the Royal Rumble here, it gets tougher. As Oliver's rage grows, <laughs> deeper, deeper <laughs> into George's mind. <laughs> here we go. Back to Matt, the Meister. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, it's so it's not Goethe. For Wilhelm Meister's lair yard. What about a? Uh, what about? Oh, it's not conductors. I can't do Carion. It's true. There are um, no conductors on this. I should have done a conductor too. So let's go with who? Who's got the biggest ego? So probably Wagner. You got it, man! Wow, oh, amazing. Here we go. Back to Oliver. Mm. This nickname is the Iceberg. Hmm. What are you, the iceberg. The wheels are turning. <laughs> I think it's like, are you talking about Iceland or about somebody who's just like cold and is known for their cold demeanor? Oh, you it mean could someone, someone, like, it could it could be a lettuce reference, or someone who sank an ocean liner. <laughs> it's a composer. It's a composer. The iceberg. Think mm. uh, berg, berg, iceberg. <laughs> Because it also could be somebody whose name is Lettuce, you know? What's the shitty composer that has shitty lettuce as their name? So. Well, he's kind of a... He's not a really a shitty composer. So you're saying Alban Berg? Yes, nice job. Way to go. That's, that's good. All right. This is, the, this is the best segment we've ever come up with. I am living for that. So it's funny because like, just in the last segment, we were talking to Osea about like good content. <laughs> it's amazing though is that both of you are perfect at this point um all right we're going back to matt j flow that that's an oliver coin nickname for juan diego flores is that the one you're oh, talking about you got that right you stole yeah, it I, I trademarked uh, that like in 2011 or something so nice job back in my well, back in my iceberg salad days well, then, you, now. then you should probably be able to, to get this one oliver j diddy Joyce Di Donato? <laughs> nice job. 
Way to go. Mm. Okay, we're gonna have to. We're gonna have to get to make this a little bit harder here. All right, over over to Matt. This opera wrestler's nickname is the Welsh Dragon. Are there are there other Welsh people besides Bryn Terfel? Uh, I'm gonna go with Bryn Terfel. I, I I think um, Weston, we should we should give a half point for that. Okay. That's not what I was thinking uh-huh. of, but I think it makes absolute sense. I was thinking of David Pountney, who is the artistic director at <laughs> Welsh National. Uh, we were all, David Pountney was really on the tip of everyone's tongue, all of our listeners. I wish this podcast was a I wish this podcast was a visual medium so our listeners can watch Oliver break down in real time. This is the best. This is the best show we've ever had. This this is why wrestling is so compelling. All right, Oliver, over to you. Um, The Scottish priest. The Scottish priest. David McVicker. Nice job. Oh damn. But you, you really thought through that, man. You really pushed through and you got that. Well, way to, way to go. Vicar gave it away. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, okay, going back to Matt here. This is actually a real wrestler's name, Jake the Snake. Remember Jake the Snake Roberts? Jake the Snake. I believe you. Um, <laughs> I mean... It's pretty anti-Semitic if you're talking about Giacomo Meyer beer. No, I think he's thinking but... about one of our lost episodes. <laughs> good hint. Oh. Who, was, good who hint. was our guest on one of the lost OBS episodes? The, the show that never was. Oh, God. It's lost like in Weston's mind as well. It's, lo- it's lost in my memory, I gotta he's, say. He's blocked it out. I'm gonna he's steal out. for the steal, <laughs> Jake Heggie. Nice job, Oliver. That is, you get to steal. Uh, it's, like, it's the yeah. only Jake in opera, so, you know. You get the you do get the seal on that. Um, okay, we're over to Oliver then. The electrician, whose wrestling nickname would be the electrician. Don't say no, don't say no. Richard Strauss. It is Richard Strauss. Oh gosh. <laughs> I that was gonna light say, bulb went off right over your head. I was going to say uh, uh, Russian avant-garde composer Edison Denisov, but that's just me. <laughs> that would have been a better that answer. Is, <laughs> that is just you. I'm going to give myself one point. Just you give, to, yourself, you give yourself one point. Hell yeah. All right, pushing ahead. Um, now, this is actually a, an actual nickname, the princess. I didn't know this. The princess. This is Matt's. The princess. This is the nickname of the actual nickname of this person. Yeah. Hmm. And it's such a good wrestling nickname. I mean, there are female wrestlers, of course, who wouldn't want to be called something the princess something. <laughs> it's a, it's a singer as well cuz I can beads of sweat dripping down <laughs> his Thank face. You. I'm I'm fro. I'm just totally frozen. You want to steal um, Oliver, or do you want to? I, 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 I mean, I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna venture a guess. It could. It might it be the one and only Betty Betty Blackhead, Elizabeth Schwartz called. It's good. These are good guesses, but but not what I was thinking. And is there I, a cl- I don't think is there I, a clue? A hint. I don't know what to. I don't know. I don't have a hint other than it's a singer who actually has this nickname, which maybe not help that much. <laughs> Yeah. It's a bad clue. Is, Let's be real. This is we just... talked about her on the show. 
too obscure, I think. Patrice Munsell. Oh. That's a deep cut, George. <laughs> yeah. You don't know anything about Patrice Munsell. Name one role that she sang. I, I know nothing about her okay. other than that she has an amazing wrestling record. <laughs> <laughs> and that's right. what really matters. I'm gonna I'm gonna make it for it, Oliver though. We'll give you we'll give you a gimme bubbles. Oh, I'm gonna give that back to Matt because he's so behind, he's never gonna catch up. Okay, that's, that's true, but I don't need your pity to identify <laughs> that really. <laughs> if you were to listen to the show, George, you would know that we just did an episode about bubbles, so Yes. <laughs> yeah, all of our fans out there were clamoring yeah. to be the all first the So I guess I guess that's a wash. Then nobody nobody gets that one. So um Weston, remind us what the scores are. Well, right now we have in third place me with one point. Uh, but in second place we have Matt four and a half points, and Oliver with a whopping seven points, taking the lead in this uh, uh, this can amazing do, contest of champions. Can we do okay, two so rounds of where everything is three points, so we can so Matt has a chance. Everything's Let's made step up. It up. Points don't matter. Let's step it up. Yeah, okay. exactly. Okay. We have. Oh, so this is good. We have one more name from each category. So we're gonna we're gonna go into like lightning round here. All right, and we're back to Matt, I believe. How many points will this so, be worth? For an so idea is, of the stakes. As many as I need as many as I need to win. So this okay. is worth thirty billion. Um, <laughs> okay, billion right. points. Okay, okay. <laughs> All right. So here we go. Over to Matt. Um the name is gonna be the burger. Or you you could yeah, the burger. Not the iceberg. <laughs> Not the, the iceberg, ice, the burger. No. You, you could also say the old, the old burger. Mm. Could, could you say that about Schoenberg? That's a good guess. I think you should get half a point for that, actually. Oh, so 15, <laughs> was, billion. 15 billion. Okay, 15 so, billion. That's 15 billion. I was, I was thinking of, of Benjamin Britten. He came from Aldborough in England or, or the old burg, the old Okay, burger. I don't know. I don't know about Sven Chambers. <laughs> I'm going to give him 50, uh, you, 15 million need, points. You need like an advanced degree in linguistics to be able to decipher a couple of these. <laughs> you just need like a certain crossword sort of mindset. All right, over to you, Oliver. Your nickname is Busy B. Oh, he, he, he's, he's, he's looking down, folks. He's, he's thinking. I mean, this is the final This stretch. is my rationalization. Okay. That the three B's in classical music are Bach, Beethoven, and um, Brahms. And the busiest of them all would be Bach. But he didn't write an opera. So um, maybe you're not talking about those any of those composers. Um, I'm not talking about any of those composers, but it is a composer that starts with B. Well, that leaves Bizet and Bellini. Great. It's 50-50, um, toss a coin. Busy, and Berlioz. Busy, and, and Berlioz. Oh. Well, and Bodadin. The busiest of those three would be Berlioz. He wrote the most operas of all of them, right? Or would it be Bellini? I'm going to say Bellini. I'm going to say Bellini. Yeah. It's a good guess. I, I think it wasn't what I was thinking of. I was thinking of Bizet, as in busy, busy, Bizet. See, um, I thought, I was like, oh, he's definitely going for Rimsky-Korsakov, composer <laughs> of Flight, Flight of, of the, the Bumblebee. Bumblebee. Ah. And the legend. Of the Invisible City of Keithedge, among other <laughs> Russian classic operas. Of course, of course. Here we go. Um, uh, this one's for Matt. This is obscure. Even I would be stressed at this one. This one is simply oh boy, the, the Doctor. 
the doctor. This re- this opera wrestler is called somebody the, the doctor somebody. The doctor. Yeah. This the uh, I'm gonna throw I'm gonna throw a couple hints your way too. Uh, it's a director who died this year. Um. Was was Patrice Chereau this year? Uh, time is a flat circle. <laughs> I I don't so it's hard to say when when people die. You, you should get half a point just for saying time time is a half circle. Is that Patrice? I was thinking of Jonathan Miller, who was also an MD. Uh, mm. yeah. Jonathan the Doctor Miller. All right, over to Oliver. This one, quite simply, little breeze, little breeze. Breeze. <laughs> yes, Anthony Breeze gets his own nickname. Yeah. No. <laughs> little breeze. Little breeze. Yeah, it's a director. Uh, I got it. We'll oh, this chance. is. We'll give you a chance for the steal in one second, Matt. Give Oliver a chance to turn the cogs here. Little Breeze. Somebody, Little Breeze, somebody. Calixto, Little Breeze, Bieto. Just because it sounds really good. great. It's a really great guess. I think you should get half a point just because you. Just because George looked. Just because I like that director, and anyways, I was thinking of of. Uh, we were talking about Uncle Franco. Yeah. yeah oh, exactly. Zeffirelli. Oh, of course. That no, you should get that point, Matt, because that's that's that's, that's brilliant. Fair. Yeah, I was thinking Aurette, but it's Zeffirelli. Zeff- I should know Zeffiretti. Come on, Oliver. Oh. All right, we got two more to go. Oh, really? This one is <laughs> the, 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 the to, fatigue in his voice. It's the last, Try to it's contain the last, your excitement. It's the, it's the last one for Matt. Papa. Papa. Oh, just Papa. Yeah, just Papa. Um, Papa Hayden. <laughs> no, that's a thing. I mean, like that's, that, it's true. It's a thing. We, can we give him like a quarter of a point? So like 2.5 million? 2.5 billion. Gotcha. Okay. Thank you. I was just thinking of Rene Papa. So Rene Papa Papa? Yeah. <laughs> he is a Papa. He is pretty giant also. <laughs> Rene mm-hmm. Papa Papa. All right. And this one's, this one's for Weston. Lasagna. <laughs> Garfield. <laughs> is what I would be saying. <laughs> Now, this one I saw online. Apparently, this is actually an actual um, nickname for this singer. Mm, lasagna? Some, somebody, lasagna, somebody. Some people get la stupenda. Some people get la lasagna. <laughs> no, it's just la lasagna. <laughs> 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 Roberto, lasagna, alanya? You got it. Nice one. Amazing. Oh. Uh, 30 billion points. All right, well, then we should okay. go out listening to some Roberto Alanya, everybody. That was George. Oh, wait, I need to reveal who won first. Oh. So in third place with one point is me. Uh, in uh, second place with 30 billion and seven points is Oliver Camacho. Oh. And in first place with a grand total of, let me do the math here, 47.5 billion and four and a half Matt Cummings. 
That is some, uh, that's some commitment to the bit. I'll give you, it to you. Are, you're, are you mixing fractions and decimals again? <laughs> it's incredibly difficult. I'm trying my best, guys. No, I, I think, I think your, uh, your advanced calculus is, uh, is right on the money. So be sure to check out uh, SummerSlam, which is coming up this weekend on pay-per-view. And of course, if you have a pop quiz that you want to hear or be on in the show, just let us know, upperboxscore at gmail.com. This just in, the two-minute drill. All right, listen up. Here's everything you need to know about what happened in Opera Land this week. In a first-of-its-kind partnership with a U.S.-based performing arts organization, Marquee TV, the multi-genre performing arts streaming service, has announced that it will stream Houston Grand Opera's digital content for free. HGO Digital will offer audiences a chance to watch four one-act operas, three concert events, a documentary on the making of HGO's world premiere children's opera, and recitals by Arturo Chacon Cruz, Reginald Smith Jr., and friend of the show, Tamara Wilson. Damon Bristow, the former director of artistic administration at Opera Theater St. Louis, was arrested last month for child sex trafficking. Until September 2019, Bristow had also served as vice president and artist manager for Columbia Artists. Opera Theatre St. Louis released a public statement last week after tenor and blogger Zach Finkelstein posted a screenshot of the arrest data to Twitter. It's back. New York City Opera has announced plans to present the world premiere of Ricky Ian Gordon's The Garden of the Finzi Contini's, as well as a stage concert production of Anthony Davis's Pulitzer Prize winning The Central Park Five in the spring of 2021. Looks like our friend Heidi Wilson will have to add another addendum to her book on the death of the New York City Opera. Wolf Trap Opera may be the only U.S. opera company providing an in-person training program for quarantine singers with a virtual summer slate. Quote, we still wanted to bring our singers, uh, we still wanted to bring our singers to be with us this summer, says Wolf Trap VP Leanne Mislewski. They want to be able to connect with people in the industry and they want to be able to perform. So by having these virtual performances, they still get to do big pieces from the repertoire. Friend of the show, Haymarket Opera is reimagining their 10th anniversary season. General Director Chase Hopkins says Haymarket has found creative and innovative ways to retrofit our early opera for film, bringing new productions in HD. It's a handle-heavy season, including Aces and Galatea, Apollo and Daphne, and Orlando. A new data-driven piece on middle-class artist by friend of the show, Zach Finkelstein and Dana Lynn Varga, weighs the true costs of pursuing a degree in music during the COVID era. 
The average four-year degree at one of the top 47 U.S. colleges will run you about $137,000, and that may be without the benefit of studio classes, ensemble experience, or onstage opportunities. Those 47 schools don't want us to tell you to stay home and spend $10,000 to create your own Zoom curriculum. Read this important article at middleclassartist.com. German epidemiologists have published a study suggesting that fully masked audiences may be able to safely attend a well-ventilated opera without social distancing. Quote, the decisive basis is the scientific assessment of the effectiveness of mouth and nose protection, says Stefan Willich, director of the Institute for Social Medicine and Epidemiology at Clinique Charité in Berlin. Quote, when you wear such a protection, around 95% of the viral load is absorbed. So wear your dang masks, people. COVID-19 has hit the Marinsky Theater in St. Petersburg hard. According to the Russian website Rosbalt.ru, over 50 members of the ballet and orchestra have taken ill due to the novel coronavirus. We're all in a state of panic and we think that the theater should be closed, says one employee of the theater. If you're worried about giving your computer a virus, maybe don't click over to that story. Coming soon, the new Dago Diddies, 24 Italian songs and arias by women composers, a new anthology from A Modern Reveal in collaboration with Hildegard Publishing Company. So that would make them the 24 Brazier ballads? Also coming soon, friend of the show, Samuel Hasselhorn's debut recording for the Harmonia Mundi label. Stille Liebe, a recital of Schumann Lieder with pianist Joseph Middleton will be released in September. Exit stage right, Il Giorno reports the sad death, aged 49, of the Azeri bass Eldar Aliyev, an artist who commanded leading roles around the turn of the century at La Scala, Paris, Madrid, Rome, and Florence. For the past 15 years, for reasons unknown, he chose to live homeless in Milan, sleeping on park benches or in a trailer. Austrian tenor Kurt Atzisberger has died aged 60 of heart failure. Atzisberger had, scheduled to, to, had been scheduled to appear this year in Tristan and Isolde at the Teatro per, uh, Pertuzzelli in Bari, but these performances were canceled due to COVID-19. And on this day, August 17th, in 1686, the birth of Niccolo Porpora, composer and teacher of famed Castrati, Farinelli, and Caffarelli, and the composer Franz Josef Haydn, the first performance of Goethe Dämmerung in 1876, that's for you, Weston. Uh, in 1916, the birth of soprano Eleanor Staber. In 1948, the birth of American baritone John Cheek. In 1951, birth of American soprano Sharon Sweet. And the first performance of Gottfried von Einem's Der Prozess, or The Trial, in 1953. And that's your two-minute drill. <laughs>
That was Eleanor Staber, incredible, singing Ernani in Volami. What ridiculous breath control. And quite frankly, what's amazing is actually the um, the dynamics. You know, there's lots of things that are great about her, but just the ability to make those mezzo di voce like such solid technique that was great in Mozart, great in Verdi, great in an English language opera. Um, yeah, you don't get many singers like that anymore. There's there's definitely a level of opera fandom where you get to where you're like, why did no one tell me about Eleanor Staber before? <laughs> she is so <laughs> wonderful. Why is she not one of the first names people mention? Yeah. <laughs> you have to you have to pay through a bunch of uh, of levels to get to that point where you find out about her. <laughs> I think the big news this week uh, are these two kind of back-to-back stories. I mean, they weren't as back-to-back as they seem to me, but I I've, I saw both of these stories right after each other. Uh, just the, the sheer whiplash of what's happening at the Marinsky Theater, uh, followed by the, um, the uh, German epidemiologist saying that it might be okay to do operas after all. And it's, it's one, <laughs> it was one of those, uh, those times I was like, okay, I love the news from the epidemiologists, but you have to keep that grain of salt when you're talking about a crisis of this magnitude. You know what I mean? There's a lot of factors at play here. One of them has to be like the rate of positive infections out there that right. didn't get mentioned that right up. But like, that's really different if you're talking about like 1% of tests coming back positive versus 10% of tests coming back positive. And I do want to point out that, you know, uh, it's very easy to see a headline uh, uh, from Berlin like this and be like, oh, thank goodness we can open things back up right here in the U.S. But of course, in general, uh, Germany is doing uh, much, much better than most parts of the U.S., uh, uh, sometimes ludicrously so in the the case of um, states like Florida. Um, Alabama, um, you know, uh, places like this where where the uh, it's there there. This is all assuming some level of controlled spread and genuine commitment to wearing a mask completely and correctly, um, which is something that here in the United States there seem to be people who have some trouble doing for whatever reason. Uh, and I, I think it's you know what's happening at the Marinsky is is obviously a tragedy. Um, there are a lot of these are kind of rumors. It's happening through Russian state media. Uh, there seem to be lots of anonymous sources going on. Um, uh, I think there's one ballerina who uh, is is apparently on a ventilator already. And it's but it's one of those things that um, it, 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 to me, it's a good example of why it's important to have open information, calm, collected you know, acceptance of the facts. And, yeah. uh, and that's the only way we're going to get beyond this, public, especially in our pub- industry. Public health does not care about your politics. You've got, exactly. you've got to do what public health says first. I'm surprised, Wesson, that you just glossed right over the Damon Bristow story. And I have to say that this news broke while we were recording last week. And it mm-hmm. was too late for us to include it in the episode, even though there was a, lot, a strong reaction. And I saw a big threat, especially in the opera social media world. Um, and I just don't want to, I mean, I don't want to say anything because I don't know. Uh, I don't know the situation I don't know how, you know, if there were ever complaints about Damon Bristow while he was a manager at Columbia or while he was uh, on the admin team at Opera Theater St. Louis. We think of Opera Theater St. Louis as friends of the show. 
So I don't want to implicate any leadership there since we don't know the full story. But obviously, this is a horrifying story that just happens to be mm-hmm. adjacent to opera, but really has nothing to do with Opera Theater St. Louis, as I understand it. Well, we hope. <laughs> Certainly. Yeah, it's it's another rough story to read. And, you know, th- this one, I feel like, you know, uh, specifically the child sex trafficking, uh, it, it just speaks to some, you know, it's one of those things that's hard to confront, even systematically, because it feels so unusual, uh, even though it's really not. Uh, and I imagine we'll be keeping an eye on that story as it develops. But that story was broken by our good friend, uh, Zach, when he posted the mugshot on uh, Twitter. And he has another uh, appearance with this amazing piece uh, from, on middleclassartist.com, uh, which I highly, highly recommend uh, all our listeners check out. Uh, it's a it's not all, the most fun read in the world, but it's uh, it's it's a really fascinating breakdown of what the actual cost of pursuing music is and what uh, and it's the first time I've really seen someone uh, with with data backing them up uh, really sort of uh, lay out what the obstacles are going to be. Um, over not just over the next few months, but over the next few years as opera companies begin the recovery process and what that means for young singers and students and uh, musicians. Uh, and it, it's a it's a fantastic piece. And and look like everyone in the entire country is trying to figure out what to do in real time with no guidance when it comes to schools. And I I sympathize really deeply with both the people who are trying to go back to school in the fall or having to decide not to. Or, uh, and both the, the administrations and the faculties who are having to make these decisions that, that are just lose-lose. Um, the university system uh, of music conservatories was kind of under stress before this just because of how expensive it is and how much, uh, and how, how much of a, an obstacle it can be for a young student to incur that kind of a death, debt to get this kind of training and then be thrown out into the world and be like, okay, well, you have $300,000 that you have to pay off uh, with your exposure that you get from singing that one cocktail party. <laughs> um, and that has a lot of major downstream effects as, we, as we've as we been talking about with, you know, who gets to work as a classical musician, what kind of people can afford to work as, exactly. as classical singers. And um, I wish that there were good news here, but it, it just looks like it's going to the rapids are going to keep picking up, uh, and so being nimble, being uh, on a, not being afraid to kind of chart your own path, I think is going to become even more valuable in the years to come. I mean, you said it so eloquently. I just want to restate it in my very simplistic way. You know, if only rich people can study music, then we'll only have typically rich white kids who make it through the conservatory system and then the young artist system and then eventually to, you know, the best roles and the best whatever in, in the opera world. And right now we're at a time where we need to really, you know, uh, make sure there are different types of people in the pipeline and understanding the cost of this, especially during COVID is not going to help that at all. But it's also, I'm conflicted by this because I, I do want to, you know, really amplify Zach's and, um, What's her name? Dana. The, I forget. Dana Lynn Varga. Yeah, their advice to maybe create your own conservatory at home, you know, by cobbling together. Might as well. Cobbling together, you know, uh, language lessons and 
online voice lessons and repertoire study, you can do it. You know, you'll spend some money to buy a good microphone, etc. But you'll save a hundred thousand dollars. You know, um, but I have friends who are, you know, tenured professors or adjunct faculty in some of these conservatory programs, and they worked really hard to even get those positions. And yeah. so, I mean, I really don't know who we should all be listening to and what people's ultimate goals are, but everybody's just trying to make a living. And some people make a living by representing a university and trying to recruit students. And so I don't blame them mm-hmm. either, you know. Anyway, it's it's horrible. Yeah, there's, there's no winners <laughs> yeah. in this in this article, unfortunately. On the bright side, it's Goethe Demerung Day and nothing you say can take that away from me. Yeah. Are you lighting us all on fire to celebrate? After <laughs> oh, yeah. That, that's that's how I'm going to end this show. Just a big old funeral pyre. Let's go. There was some fun uh, internet backlash when James Jordan from Parterre posted something catty about, you know, New York City Opera um, trying to come back. and um... Parterre? <laughs> something catty? <laughs> and, and I think Ricky and Gordon, like Mark Campbell, like interceded on behalf of New York City Opera. So it's some it's always fun to see stuff like that. Haymarket, friends of the show, um, they had a really great, you know, announcement that they're doing all of their work on video, um, which would be interesting. I'm not sure how historically accurate you could be, you know, in HD, but maybe now they have, you know, no obstacle of set design, you know. You still have the obstacle of getting dancers together and an orchestra together, but I guess we'll we'll find out what that really is going to look like. You know, they chose works that historically inspired. Yeah. The thing about Handel is that there are lots of solo moments. There are very few moments in Handel operas where more than two people are on stage at a time. So we'll see. All right. Well, uh, I am getting on to Grana and readying myself to throw into the funeral pyre. Let's wrap this show up. Good call. Bad call on opera box score. All right, who's got a good call for me? Matt, you got anything for me? If you uh, read that article a couple weeks ago about how the theme song from the Good Humor Ice Cream Trucks was actually a minstrel tune that, you'd be, that you didn't know about, um, you don't have to worry about being racist for wanting to buy ice cream anymore because there is a new jingle that got uh, um, unleashed, I guess is probably the best word today, um, by RZA from the Wu-Tang Clan. And I have to say... It slaps. <laughs> <laughs> you have a call for me all uh, Yeah, for once, I actually have a bad call. Um, this goes out to Amazon for what I thought was going to be a very clever commercial about Alexa and how you just, all you need is a voice to activate your Alexa. But they use that tired old trope of, you know, opera singer being heavy set, uh, you know, fat woman singing type of thing. And I think it's cleaner than I, I forget what they're actually what they're. It, it is. Yeah, it's, it's a bad commercial. <laughs> yeah, it just it just really condescends to people who like opera and like makes opera this thing that's like, oh, if you like opera, you're you're you are you're weird, you know. Um, it's like that. Oh, I mean, they're not wrong, but also <laughs> it, it hurts to say. <laughs> yeah. Do, you can do better. Right. You can do better, Amazon. My- like at least accuse us of being Bond villains. Yeah. My good call is that for the first time in show history, both Matt and Oliver had the same good and bad call as me. Oh. <laughs> well, that's amazing. That's your city quest. He came out of nowhere to contribute to that. 
and my bad call is that this funeral pyre is getting really hot, so I'm going to have to quickly uh, uh, just pound out this ex this extra. That is it for this week's edition of America's Talk Radio Show about opera. Our announcer is Norm Waddell, who can be found at normwaddell.com. That's N-O-R-M-W-O-O-D-E-L.com. Our theme song is Vodka Inferno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. On Facebook, search for Opera Box Score. Be sure to share and comment on our posts. On Twitter, we're at Opera Box Score. And this podcast version of our show is available wherever you get your pods. The views and opinions expressed on Opera Box Score are solely those of the show's creative team. Any rebroadcast, reproduction, or other use of the accounts of this show without the express written consent of Opera Box Score would be kind of cool, actually. Uh, thank you to Alyssa Martin and Marcus Shields from Osia. The creative consultant for Opera Box Score is Oliver Camacho. For Matt Cummings and George Cedarquist, I'm Weston Williams asking you to continue the conversation about opera, whether the tide is rolling or not. We're back with an all-new podcast next Wednesday, August 26th, plus more opera headlines, more hot takes, all that sort of stuff. Join us then. 